0: and thank you for joining us for In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, State Clerk of the EPC. The motto of our family of congregations is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Now, here's Dean.
1: And thank you so much, Rachel Joseph. Appreciate, as always, your introduction into yet another podcast of In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And if you've been with us for a period of time, you know we drop a new podcast every Friday on whatever uh, site you get your podcast, whether it's Podbean or Apple or just go to epc.org and look for it there. And it's something you can listen to hopefully on your way to work, whether it's a walk around the neighborhood, walking the dog, cup of coffee, We're in the middle of a series right now where we're ramping up to our 43rd General Assembly, and we've been highlighting some of the preachers at that General Assembly, and I'm real excited about today having as our guest the preacher who's going to be bringing the word for us on Tuesday evening at the big worship service that night, and it's Mike Kuhn. Mike is the director of I-10, the International Theological Education Network of EPC's World Outreach, and Mike, it is great to have you on In All Things.
2: Thank you, Dean. It's good to be with you.
1: And we're really looking forward to um, what the Lord is going to say through you on Tuesday night at GA and uh, want the audience to get to know you a little bit better. You have a, a following, whether you know it or not, in a certain portion of the EPC. And I think other people are like, oh, yeah, I think I've heard of that guy. And then when they hear you, they're like, oh. I love this guy. <laughs> so uh, Mike is one of my favorite people in the EPC. I feel like probably my only regret in two and a half years is I haven't spent enough time with Mike Kuhn. I would like to spend more time with him because he causes my head and my heart to stretch in ways that are kingdom focused. And I love that about this guy. So we're going to get into that conversation in just a few seconds. But before we do, um, today's episode of In All Things is brought to you by none other than the 43rd General Assembly. The theme is called Sharpen, held at Cherry Hills Community Church in Highlands Ranch outside of Denver, Colorado, a beautiful setting to come and be with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that idea of Sharpen is based on Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, where we are called to equip the saints um, for ministry. And it has to do with this idea in the context of Paul writing to the Ephesian church about the unity of the body, how each part works together. Uh, In the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, we might say as iron sharpens iron, but this idea that we come to sharpen ourselves so that hopefully when we leave this general assembly, we feel better equipped as disciples of Jesus to carry out the Great Commission, because that's the mission of the EPC. We exist. To carry out the Great Commission, that's not reserved for a, a special few people. That is something that the entire Church of Jesus Christ is commanded to go and do. And we all have different roles that we can play in that. But, but that is out in front of us, and it is paramount as the mission of the EPC. And we will come together at this General Assembly to hopefully do that, particularly as we dig deep in each of the four gospel priorities. And uh, one of those is global movement. Another is um, multiplication or church planting, and the primary way in which we actually cooperate with God's global movement through world outreach is also church planning. So really, 50% of our gospel priorities are church planning. Some of them are international, some of them are domestic. And then we also have church health, which we call transformation, and we have effective biblical leadership, which is another way of describing discipleship. And we're going to dig in more at this General Assembly to what does it mean to be a disciple. Uh, it's not We're not going to answer it at this GA. We're just going to begin to kind of tee up that question as we begin to explore it more deeply and robustly over the next coming year or years, because healthy churches ultimately are producing disciples. And hopefully they're disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. That would seem to be what God is calling the EPC to do if we're going to carry out the Great Commission. So we hope that you'll either come and join us. We have pretty good registration. In fact, we're back to what we would call our pre COVID numbers for General Assembly this year, but you can still always come and join us, whether it's for a day pass or register for the whole time. But if you're unable to come and be with us in person, you can also watch the General Assembly on our live stream. Just go to epc.org and you can watch not only the plenary sessions, but you'll be able to watch the worship service and hear this next guy preach on Tuesday night. And it's a special service Tuesday night because it's not just Mike preaching, but also we'll be commissioning some of our global workers to go to some of the hard places with the good news of Jesus around the globe. And it's always one of my favorite times uh, of a General Assembly, and we're going to lead off with that on Tuesday night of this General Assembly. So again, the 43rd General Assembly, Sharpen, at Cherry Hills Community Church, June 20th through the 22nd. We hope that you can pray, if nothing else, that God would move and he would move his people to join his movement in the Spirit. Okay, so let's turn into our guest today, Mike. It's great to have you here and help our audience to get to know you a little bit better. Perhaps maybe even if they listen to this prior to coming to GA, it'll help give them some context when you get up to preach. Give us a little bit of your bio.
2: Oh, well, thanks, Dean. It's really good to be with you and uh, just to hear these gospel priorities that you have led us in and that the GA will focus on. That's really encouraging for me. But to tell the listeners where I come from, I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina, very much a faithful covenant family. My mother and my grandmother taught me the scriptures, literally, you know, making me memorize scripture. And uh, I'm so grateful for that upbringing. And my, my dad was also a very faithful witness. He was an elder in a small Presbyterian church in, in those mountains of North Carolina. That's where I grew up.
1: It makes sense now, Mike, knowing you, I can picture you as a North Carolinian. That makes sense to me now. There's a certain um, North Carolinian, especially in the mountains, quality.
2: Well, I take that as a compliment. You know, the Lord hasn't allowed me to go back to the mountains of North Carolina, at least not to reside. But uh, I love that place and love those people. But let me just add on to that, that both my mother and my grandmother aspired to be missionaries. They both wanted to go overseas. My grandmother grew up in an orphanage, orphanage in Elk, North Carolina. She aspired to go overseas. My mother as well. But circumstances hindered both of them. But that, I think, planted a seed in me that I wanted to serve the Lord, and I wanted to serve Him among people who'd never heard of Him before. So that led me eventually to join an interdenominational mission called Arab World Ministries. And I
1: sure.
2: spent about 22 years With that mission organization, we lived in France, Morocco. We lived in Egypt. And most of that time I was really committing my energy and my time to discipleship of Muslims who had come to Christ. Hmm. So some people refer to these as Muslim background believers, but at any case, they're new believers who've come out of Islam. And that just gave me a real window into what God is doing in the Muslim world. Then I also linked with the Egyptian church and that church was going through uh, a kind of awakening, a kind of revival in a prayer movement, so I saw the the dynamism of a church that's being revived and the missional vision of the church that's being revived, and I saw all of that not in my homeland, although you know there are wonderful churches here for sure, but I saw it in the Middle East, you know, a place where one would think that there wasn't much gospel ministry, but the gospel was alive and vibrant and pulsating from Egypt, I think Egypt really became a sending center for the rest of the Middle East and other African countries. Hmm. And just to round that out, I was deported actually from Egypt in 2005 and came back and went on staff at a wonderful church in Knoxville, Tennessee called Cedar Springs. Oh, it's one and, of our best. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great experience for me. And, um, I was encouraged by the pastor there, John Wood and my, preaching. So I learned that uh, occasionally I can actually stand up and preach. <laughs> well, so you, were, was, you uh, were sitting
1: under one of the best there, Mike. I mean, John Wood is yeah. just, uh, I love that guy and what a great faithful preacher. And um, uh, and I've been thinking a lot about him recently because he, he was in a small group and really close with Tim Keller. And, and uh, I've Ooh. got to think that that loss has been deeply felt by he and some of the other guys in that covenant
2: group. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. But Cedar yeah. Springs was wonderful for me and actually helped. Stephanie and me relaunched to the Middle East. So I worked for about six and a half more years at the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary in Beirut, Lebanon. And there again, you know, saw the whole Syrian war and Syrian refugees pouring over the border. We had literally one in every three persons in Lebanon was a Syrian refugee. Wow! So you're talking about a real immigrant crisis there. And And it was amazing to see the evangelical churches welcome these refugees and to see the movement of the gospel among the Syrian refugee, these Sunni Muslims, you know, who had we tried to reach them in Syria, they would have not wanted to touch a Bible and certainly not darken the door of the church. But because of this displacement, they were pouring into these smallish evangelical churches of Beirut and gospel ministry is very much proliferating there today, so just uh, just seeing god's work in the nations uh, I think is, has given me you know, so much hope in the gospel that the gospel is still the great hope for our world that you know Jesus died to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He okay. reconciled us to himself and then reconciled us to one another in one body in his church. Mm-hmm. So that's my story in a nutshell, Dean.
1: Okay, well, I, there's so much there, Mike, that uh, you know, I think we're going to need to do a couple of future podcasts. I could almost imagine you and I doing a series of three or four podcasts just on some of these things because um, you know, you got my brain going a little bit about this whole idea of you, know, you can really trace a lot of the great work of the Holy Spirit and, and uh, the work of the, um, the Great Commission in refugees, and you see it in, in the, the mass migration and movement of people groups. Through some of the most horrific circumstances, you know, God will bring people to himself, and I think the number of Syrians who, you know, were displaced for awful reasons who came to know the Savior, uh, largely through the hospitality of a lot of people in Lebanon and, and others uh, throughout the Middle East who took them in and cared for them, and Christians who loved them well, much like the early church did. Boy, when people move and the people of God are hospitable and welcoming and loving, uh, great things happen.
2: You know, Dean, you're really playing my tune there. When, when you <laughs> use that word hospitality, you know, we think of it as a nice thing. We're, right. we're being warm and welcoming to people. But in, in the biblical terminology, it's loving the other. It's this, this embrace of those who are different from ourselves and it's so gospel-oriented, that, that quality that we welcome and embrace. And then through that embrace, of course, we share the good news. We share how Christ has changed our own lives. But it's uncanny to me how our media and, and our own fears, I think, cause us to reject the other and to right. be fearful of the other, to turn away from the other. And the call of the gospel is the exact opposite. You know, it's the total a 180 degree response when it starts with the death uh, from,
1: of self right i mean you, you got oh, to exactly. die to those fears and then you're exactly. available for what god is bringing to your very doorstep so that you can experience the giving the grace that you've received
2: yeah i couldn't agree more i think it's like that cs lewis story that aslan is on the move you know it does seem like there's more displacement in our world than ever We have the southern hemispheres, you know, knocking at the door of these northern countries, both here in the United States and Europe. We have hunger. We have war. We have fundamentalism of religious sorts and varieties. You know, I think the world is being shaken and disturbed. The status quo is being upset. And the wrong reaction is to panic about that. The wrong reaction is to fret the right reaction is to see that the spirit is at work in our world and the opportunities are great as a result.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, okay. So I've just made an executive decision. We're going to come back and do a four part series. You and me in the fall. Uh, because there's so much good stuff here. And I just, uh, I just think you say it with such pastoral eloquence and I just want to hear more. And I think our people need to hear more. So we're going to put a little pin in that, Mike, and we'll come back to that. But I promise you, this is going to be a four-parter for you and me in the fall. And and maybe part one is going to be biblical hospitality and what it looks like and why it's important, why it's essential. But I do want to do two things. One is I'd I'd love for you to help our listeners understand a little bit what I-10 is, because I think it's, one of the best things that the EPC does. Could you explain the International Theological Education Network and and what you guys do?
2: Yeah, I'm happy to do that. And it's my great privilege and honor to, to be the director of I-10, but I can't take credit because Bruce Anderson, who you've interviewed in the past, he was the founder of I-10 and he and Steve Woodworth led I-10 for 10, I guess, or 11 years. So anything I say here, a lot of thanks and credit goes, you know, first and foremost to Christ, but, uh, but also to Bruce and Steve. Right. What we do is offer our partnership for the training of leaders among least reached peoples, this disciple making movement. Uh, and these movements have proliferated around the world. And you have small groups meeting in homes and public places of former Muslims, former Buddhists. I was just recently in a South Asian country and we were training leaders from people who were former Buddhists and animists, people who worshipped at shrines in their homes and offered food to their ancestors and such things. And these people have come to Christ in great numbers and being in such great numbers that the traditional Bible colleges and seminaries of our world can never meet the need of training Christian leaders. So I10's purpose is to seek out These people groups, people who were previously unreached, but now are seeing the movement of the gospel proliferate among them. Uh, One of those is, you know so well, Dean, is in Sierra Leone, where we're seeing Muslims from the interior villages of Sierra Leone come to Christ in great numbers. And also just in various places around the world. So what we do is offer a reformed and evangelical theological formation to these pastors. We can't offer at the level of a seminary or even really a Bible college, but we try to give a leadership curriculum that you would want to give to the elders of your churches here in the U.S., for example, that would enable them to preach and teach God's word, to understand the Bible in context, to know basic foundational doctrines, theology of church leadership. So we're sharing this in these different people groups around the world. And, you know, we need help to do that in many ways. We need people to partner with us both financially, but we need some of these skilled trainers in the EPC also to travel with us to these places and give us their insights and their help into what really makes a quality church leader. What can we give the church leaders that's necessary to give them in order for them to lead the church in these places where the church is emerging? So we provide partnership and theological education and leadership development among least reached peoples. That's essentially what we aim to do.
1: And that's just in a a nutshell, Mike, that's kind of what we're hoping in some ways our General Assembly is all about. It's bringing people together, equipping leaders with the gospel. And you guys do that in some of the hardest places. People have the least access to resources. And you do it with such theological integrity, but also with such relational integrity. And as you mentioned, I'm obviously very familiar with uh, the work that you've helped us with in Sierra Leone. And the downstream effect of that has just been really significant, not just for the the pastors themselves, but for educating first-generation elders to move away from kind of the syncretistic, animistic traditions of their tribes to kind of a really first-generation, distinctive Christianity that has the capacity to sink down deep roots and be fruitful and faithful for the long run. And that kind of teaching has just been, I've watched it firsthand, it's just absolutely essential. So um, if folks want to learn more about that, you just go to epcwo.org and you'll find more about I-10. If your congregation is looking for an organization or an activity to support, or if you're looking for a way to pray or a way to be involved, start there, epcwo.org. I think you'll be really encouraged by that work. But you're going to bring some of that flavor into the General Assembly, right, Mike? I mean, when you preach on Tuesday night, you've got a word for us that I think is really timely and at the very heartbeat of who the EPC is called to be.
2: You know, Dean, it seems to me that in this age of great opportunity, we, I've never seen such resistance to the idea of the sentness of the church, the, the mission of the church. I keep hearing, oh, the nationals are doing that now. We need no longer participate in that. Or I hear, well, the internet covers the globe. So I hear lots of rumblings about why we really shouldn't continue to be committed to global mission. And I think some of that, too, is a healthy interest that we want to witness and be, be missional in our own communities. And I think in some places, there's a fear that we can't do both. We can't spread ourselves too thin. But I think what I'd like to say to the EPC, and I, I believe the EPC has this heart, is that it's not time to let off the gas. That what God has given us is a joyful explosion of gospel transformation. Mm. This is not a heavy burden. This is our privilege, our joy, our great calling is to participate in the glory of the Son by all the nations, tribes, and tongues of the world. Mm. So I just want to recast that joy that we are sent. And so I'm going to take a passage out of the book of Acts, you know, where, where we see this joyful sentness and we see For instance, Philip evangelizing in Samaria. And the result is, well, there's great joy in that city. And the Spirit comes on the Samaritans Mm. just as he came on the apostles in the upper room. Mm. So this glorious inclusion of the other, the people who are different from us, the ones perhaps we are most inclined to hate or despise or distrust, is that they're actually the ones God is drawing to himself in his sovereignty and in his wisdom.
1: Amen. Well, and I, I connect these things, Mike, because, um, you know, I think all four of our gospel priorities connect and relate to one another. And, and, and I would mm-hmm. say, while it is true, and I think, you know, there's a lot of work to do in the missional aspect of a local congregation equipping and training their members to be witnesses in their workplace, in their neighborhoods, in their families, I think the sending is so fundamental to our DNA. That mm-hmm. a church that sends people only locally and doesn't send them internationally, or conversely, a church that, that reserves the sending for people internationally but doesn't ever think about their own people being witnesses, I think there's a, an unhealthy imbalance there. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Acts one sixty eight is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It seems that the church, when it's at its healthiest, has this sending DNA so that people say, well, it's not a question of being sent. It's a question of where I'm being sent. Mm-hmm. And, and, exactly. and it's special, it's needed, and it's important that some hear that call, that that sending is going to be to some of the really hard places where there's least access to the gospel. And that is, that is not diminished. In fact, that comes out of a healthy sending DNA church that sees itself as a place where disciples make disciples who make disciples. And I just think it actually
2: ties into church health. Absolutely. The theme that's been chosen for this GA is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But you just back up one verse and you read Ephesians 4.11, he being Christ, the risen Christ, he gave who? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. We've done pretty well with shepherds and teachers. I think we, we know about that, and, and especially in the Presbyterian tradition, that's, that's where we've laid our emphasis. But the apostles are given, and I know that, I know that raises a lot of issues yeah, for but people. But you're a
1: scholar. You know? Tell us what
2: apostolos actually means, Mike. It means to be sent. It means to send. And there were non-12 who are called apostles in the pages of the New Testament, Epaphroditus and Barnabas. So there was very much a sending culture. Try to break away from the use of apostles as an office, but think of the apostolate, sort of the the ones who were sent. Think of Philip being sent down to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem down to Hebron. Or think of Paul, not only Paul himself being sent, but Paul sending various ones, such as Timothy and Titus and Epaphroditus. There was this sending part of the church that really made the narrative of the early church. So it wasn't all sedentary teaching of the gospel. It was a teaching as you go right. kind of ministry. Right, right. That, according to Ephesians 4.11, that's essential for the equipping of the saints. Amen. It's not just the pastors and teachers. It's also the apostolate, the evangelists and the prophets. That has to be part. Now You know, we need a lot of conversation around what makes a healthy apostle, prophet, and evangelist ministry. And I think there are tons of excesses and bad examples, but there are so many bad examples because the authentic exists. The real must continue to exist in our churches. And
1: I think we can unpack that, right? I think the EPC is a place where we can unpack that. And I'm, I'm excited that you're going to bring that word. You know, I've been trying to say for a while now, Unfortunately, the word evangelical has taken on a lot of baggage in the West. You know, it has a social political implication to it. And I've been trying to say, no, what we mean by that is evangelistic. What I mean by that is the, the Uengelion, the, 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 the good news of Christ. That's our word. Culture has, has absconded with it and redefined mm-hmm. us. We need to kind of pull that back and say, no, this is, we have good news. And, and we want an evangelistic culture. I think the same thing is true about apostolos. I think we are capable of saying these are apostolic times in which there is a need for an evangelistic culture where the disciples of Jesus are sent with the good news. And I think we can do that without moving into those, those issues, those problems, the excesses uh, and the errors. And I think we can do that because I think God has given us that kind of ethos Uh, theology, Mm -hmm. history, uh, guys like you, quite frankly, who can guide us in that conversation and make sure we do so faithfully and biblically. And I just love the direction you're taking. Can't wait to hear you bring the word, brother. And um, is there anything Mm -hmm. in our closing that you want to share by way of encouragement to folks who are thinking about General Assembly?
2: Well, just uh, a reminder to pray. I think we, we have a unique opportunity that as a denomination, we come together and we hear the word, and we renew ourselves in our commitment to one another, and our commitment to the gospel. I think it's a, it's a place where the Spirit can move among us afresh. So uh, I'm going with expectation mm. and uh, prayer that the Spirit will meet us. And I know a lot of my colleagues in World Outreach are praying and fasting for this mm. GA, mm. praying it will be a time when the Spirit meets us in a new and fresh way. Oh, I love it. So just if your listeners can join us in that prayer, whether they're, attending or sending their own delegates, just that the spirit will meet us as a denomination there.
1: Well, you got me excited, man. I'm, I'm, I've, I've had my nose in all the work of preparing for GA, but just this conversation mm-hmm. has brought that level of anticipation and, into my being. And, um, uh, and I'm going to join you in that commitment to prayer. So thank you for that. So those are, those are good words.
2: Well, and thank you, Dean, for the work you're doing to, uh, to prepare for it. I know it's uh, a lot of logistical work, a lot of detail work, and we really appreciate you and others doing that for us in service to us.
1: Well, wow, it's very kind. Thanks, man. So, folks, make sure you tune in Tuesday night. Uh, if you can't be at GA, get on epc.org and check out the live stream and hear the word that Mike is going to bring to the whole EPC and invite others to listen in too, because this is a timely and timeless word uh, for the people of God uh, for a time such as this. So friends, let's end this conversation as we always do with a benedictus, that good word uh, from God's word. And as always on this program, it comes from Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. And guess what, my friends? They are for him. Because you see, he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church. That is our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, you heard Mike's admonition. Pray, friends, pray. And until we gather again in this venue uh, for yet another conversation, I bid grace and peace to you.
0: Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.